Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, drunk off of chewing gum, it's Arturo Zurita. Hi, Ben Zach. We've had uh, what's been a crazy amount of movies leading up to what is the first film festival of the year, which we're really excited about because this time last year, things were not like they are this time this year. So uh, I've been really excited that uh, we've been able to score a lot of screenings early on. Thanks to Zach. He's been messaging Mm -hmm. every single press person that he can. Uh, Some have been nice. Some haven't. (laughs) But we're here for the movies. Uh, In the digital age, it's still difficult to get a digital screener. But nonetheless... We we appreciate all the PR people who are out there trying to help get their movies seen by, by critics like us who try to spread the word about their movies. But, you know... Uh, everybody's got their own opinion and, and sometimes they won't share it with us. We'll, we'll get around to it sooner or later anyway. Uh, but yeah, we've got Sundance coming up, so we've been spending a lot of time getting ready for that, but there still is a lot of stuff in between. It's been a little while since we sat down and recorded. Actually, I think it's maybe the first time that we've recorded a podcast in 2021, uh, being that we did our best of 2020 lists last year already. It's mm-hmm. so got a whole lot to catch up on stuff that we've been talking about on the live stream, but going to get into with a little bit more detail here on intercut uh, we'll talk about some home theater setups underrated awards categories Ooh. and wandavision but first make sure you're subscribed to the intercut podcast either the video podcast on youtube.com slash intercut pod or the audio podcast available on most podcatchers also follow intercut on social media whether it's facebook twitter or instagram we are at intercut pod that's at intercut pod that's short for podcast also be sure to leave us a five-star review on apple podcast it makes me happier than when i see a picture of martin scorsese or spike lee with their their time Tiny little dogs. Have you have you seen their tiny little dogs? They, I have I, not seen them. I kind of want to see if they like go on walks together with their tiny dogs. That, and that'd Bong be pretty Jun-ho. cool. And Bong Joon Ho too. <laughs> uh, so please go ahead and leave us some feedback. It, it means a lot. Art, right, let's start the show. We start it every week here on Intercut with what we are watching. What you've been watching, buddy? Not his dog, but his new docu-comedy series that he has. Martin Scorsese has this hilarious vlog, practically, that him and his best friend Fran have uh, just complaining about New York City. It is called Pretend It's a City. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe it's seven-ish episodes. It's up on Netflix. He has, you know, in between the big feature films that he makes, makes documentaries. Recently, you know, the Criterion Collection picked up his review of uh, Dylan's, like, concert that he that he yeah, did yeah, for yeah. Netflix. Um, so now he's working with Netflix again, and he did something that I absolutely loved. Uh, in between watching all of the movies that we watch every week, uh, this was one where I was just pausing, enjoying an episode, maybe two, then going back and completing some of the other movies, taking a break and watching it, and it is absolutely hilarious. Uh, I had just seen <laughs> Fran in The Booksellers, which is out on Prime, and mm-hmm. I've seen her in a bunch of cameos as well. You know, even the trailer says, like, one of the opening lines, it's Ma'am, you look familiar, but I don't know who you are. And she has this right. sense of humor to her that you won't forget her after watching this if you don't know anything about her. Yeah, she's a really interesting figure in that she she's kind of more of a personality than anything mm-hmm. else. She she has done some writing. She is a writer, but she isn't exactly a prolific writer. She just uh, and in many, many ways, she's known for just her acerbic and... and witty personality yeah. and maybe being friends with lots of famous people in different circles i the way that i'm familiar with her is as one of the best talking heads in various documentaries throughout the years but yeah as just a a chance to showcase her and uh her wit and just what it's like to be in a room with her i'm really excited to take a dive into this when you watched it you texted me right away that i need to check it out so they just I'm a little behind about, on this one. They just complain about New York City. It's literally a, a series where as they talk in different places and Marty directs it beautifully because they like there'll be dollies mm. and it's never boring. There's like a bit where it's also a late night. So it's like, ah, OK, this is kind of sketched out because now it's Baldwin interviewing her as a late night. It's uh, Spike interviewing her as late night. It, 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 it brings on it, uh, it brings up interesting conversations. 
And besides having Scorsese just there cackling, which is some of the best parts, just seeing him just move his little feet around, uh, there are parts where I disagree with her still. Uh, I hated what she said about sports. Absolutely <laughs> hated every single thing she said about sports. But nonetheless, I found her entertaining uh, just to listen yeah. to and complain. I don't know if that. you have to necessarily agree with everything nah. a person like that says. Sometimes it's it's about the presentation of it, mm-hmm. the, the delivery of it. And, oh, Spike uh, and her go at she, it. She definitely, yeah. I'm sure that's a that's a lot of charisma in one conversation, so I'm excited yeah. to check that one out. Can't wait. So what else have you been watching? Uh, Netflix also had Pieces of a Woman, which I don't think we've talked about yet. I know that one premiered at TIFF and is eligible, even though it came out this year. Right, yeah. It, 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 there's still like the Oscar eligibility window. I think it came out a little bit late for us to include it on our uh, best of 2020 list. I know somebody commented about that, uh, but... Yeah, it's a, a new film uh, directed by Cornel Mundrusco, who we know as the guy who directed White God, a mm. really interesting movie that kind of combines like a, a revenge movie uh, with the, these live dogs. It's, you know, like Air Bud meets Planet of the Apes or something. Uh, and he it's also one of the writers of that movie, uh, Cornell's partner, partner, I believe, uh, Katya Katya Weber, who writes this film, um, and it's this just very uh, intimate story about a young mother uh, that starts with this really bravura long take uh, showing an, a home birth. And what's interesting, I think, about this uh, <laughs> particular long take sometimes you get a long take that feels really like a filmmaker flex, you know, a, a, a long shot that dollies through in and out of different rooms or that has like hundreds of extras in the background. And the difference here I felt like was, it was just kind of perching you on the shoulder of this really uh, scary moment. What, what mm-hmm. develops into one uh, just watching a home birth as, as it, it <laughs> as the situation just gets more and more dire. Uh, I was kind of on the edge of my seat for that entire opening sequence. Uh it's it's a crazy way to start a movie. Do you feel like that opening bit that the opening bit sustains its momentum throughout the pieces of a woman? Mm-hmm. I had no idea that it was going to be thirty minutes long, uh, mm-hmm. and it just continues and continues. Uh, I really like all the performances um, within that sequence as well. And I know Kirby hasn't given birth, but she talked about like the process and what she did. She went and talked to Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of mothers who uh, had gone through similar experiences that she had gone through as well. And I know that the writer, you know, the director's partner, she herself based a lot of this off of journals. That's all that they noted uh, up on it. Um, so like you can feel (laughs) the intensity there. And again, Mm -hmm. like you said, Mm -hmm. it's not just a, technical achievement a technical flex it's not cutting away from that sequence it's being in that moment the entire time even though you want to look away Mm -hmm. it's the delivery doesn't stop especially because of the circumstance where she's not at at a hospital she is doing a home birth um and how that builds up for the movie especially because the rest of the movie is practically a trial that uh revolves around what happens at the beginning Uh, i thought it was yeah some of the best cinematography of the year Vanessa Kirby, I think, deserves... Uh, she got the win at Venice, rightfully so. Uh, For Best Actress, yeah. yeah. She's definitely going to be in that Oscars conversation I think so. as well. Uh, Marty Scorsese, Sam Levinson, both executive producers on this one as well after catching it. So uh, it's got all the approval from a bunch of people. And then the cast mm-hmm. even surprised me. I had no idea one of the safety was in this. <laughs> yeah, Benny Safty shows up. He's pretty good in it. Uh, Isla Schlesinger, who has been showing up in more films. Great job. Really proves herself as a very versatile and interesting actress. Comedians Not something that I expect drama. from a stand-up comedian. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, she's definitely put herself on the map between this and, you know, I didn't like the movie, but I thought she was good in Spencer Confidential. So, you know, she's going to have a career as an actress as well. Um, but yeah, the standouts here are not just Vanessa Kirby, who is undoubtedly going to be nominated for Best Actress at the Oscars, but also Ellen Bernstein, uh, who plays her mother in just a really emotional moment. She has, you know, she has a kind of traditional Oscar-y speech at some point, but I think it's more than just that. It's kind of this emotional weight that you can sense that she and others carry throughout the film. Uh, I, I think that does so much to to sell you this story, you know, I I think in a lot of ways, this story, it just hyper focuses on these uncomfortably uh, intimate areas for people. These Mm -hmm. like 
things that people don't want to talk about and and forces them into the light in a way. And uh, I, I thought the film felt like a very true reflection of this experience uh, from start to finish. Yeah, it, it to me was definitely more than just the long shot that a lot of people I know are talking about. I agree with you. That speech was fantastic. Yeah. And then the flip you have on it is great. Mm hmm. Uh, do should we mention Shia LaBeouf and just the general controversy around yeah, him? Because I mean, you know, obviously the accusations about him are horrifying, and it's even weird to call them accusations when he's essentially confirmed their veracity. Uh, so we don't want to excuse or, or belittle that because it's serious and it's sad, and unfortunately does take a little away from this movie. I feel like uh, because it, it becomes impossible to not think of his wrongdoings in relation to the character here. You know, um, but I also think it's also OK to recognize that Shia is a dynamic on screen presence, one that comes with a lot of baggage right now. But he's very good and very watchable in this movie, despite of everything. It's just th there is a lot of extra stuff there that that complicates it and definitely pulled me out of the movie. He does a great job in the movie. Yeah. You don't even know if he's acting there. Like you said, there are moments in the film where he's in there and it's like, wow, uh, this is a very interesting point for it, for it to get yeah. to uh, in, in terms of the performance. And it's interesting because, yeah, this was one of the movies they weren't really giving out screener links to until it came down to the moment where it was uh, marketing had to shift. But even Ellen Burst, which she was talking about uh, working with him, just kept talking in, in terms of like as a performer. He went in there. She said, there wasn't much um, open to imagination for me in terms of me yeah. hating that character because in terms of the role, he went in as possible. And that's one of the other things that has come out, uh, how meta he gets into these roles from what he's done in mm -hmm. Fury to what he did in Was a Lawless. He kept that yeah, same or, energy. Or that more, recent, that more recent one with David Ayer as well. I think uh, he he's... Got way too into that performance. Oh, tax collector. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we know how Shia is. I think he is a phenomenal actor. He's a great actor, but that doesn't mm -hmm. excuse a lot of uh, obviously the baggage that now comes with him. Um, but he added a lot to the role. And now I can definitely see it being something difficult for a lot of people to watch because of how much it's blended in. Um, yeah. But he plays the exact part he needs to for this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's just a bit of a shame because I think there is a really powerful movie here. So uh, I'm trying to focus on the elements of it that I think stand oh, up beyond Like that. I highlighted right here, Pieces of a Woman, Vanessa Kirby, Best Actress. Pieces mm -hmm. of a Woman, Ellen Burst, Best Supporting. Pieces of a Woman, Best Intro, Best Cinematography, Benjamin Loeb. Like those are four big standout moments for me in the film. Uh, and I really like the bridge yeah. motif. Loved the bridge yeah. motif. So highly recommend mm -hmm. it over on Netflix. Totally. Should we get into WandaVision? <laughs> you can tell me about WandaVision, Zach. Well, uh, you're a big Marvel fan. I know you've been excited because the, the biggest difficulty sure. for you with Marvel films is having to leave the home. And now, what's his name said? I'm going to bring him to you. Yeah, put them right on Disney Plus there for me, so I can't I can't escape them. You can't no, escape them. No excuse them. not to watch. Just them. like she can't escape, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, apparently I think that that seems to be what's going on. All right, so yeah, WandaVision. It is the first, I guess, in the new Marvel shows. Obviously, first. it's weird to call it like the first Marvel show because it's we not did have the Netflix shows Netflix. or whatever, but. <laughs> Yeah, but this, this is the first. really the first, you guys. We're gonna, we're taking like, it seriously it, now. It's just like Marvel Comics. Another number one. If you collect comics, you know exactly how they go. Of course they would do it for yep. the shows. They're trying to flip the script a little bit here. This is, mm -hmm. it, it instead of a traditional kind of superhero-y action uh, setup, this is a homage to various classic sitcoms starring the characters Me. of... Scarlet Witch, Wanda, and Vision as sort of like a, a suburban couple trying to live a regular family life. But there's this lurking sinister element towards the edges. Who, who knows? Uh, we're only <laughs> three episodes in so now. That's all we're judging. Yeah, it's, it's we've got a limited amount to watch. So far, it's been very reliant on classic sitcoms like uh, Bewitched or I Dream of Genie in terms of the elements that it's referencing. Uh, and one of the things that I do think is genuinely cool is the way that 
they kind of are recreating era appropriate visual effects. Like there's a That's moment cool. where she puts she she like magics engagement rings on their fingers and because they're trying to evoke a 50s era sitcom like it's not a perfect match cut the hand moves a little bit so you know I, that's cute but a lot of it just feels very cheesy and yes a lot of it is intentionally cheesy to evoke those old sitcoms but i don't think just because you're like winking at the camera while being cheesy that doesn't make it suddenly not cheesy i, I know some people really like the magic show sequence but to me that's like the worst of network tv comedy laugh track comedy i i just i could not wait for that part to end uh i don't know people are complimenting the show for being different but it is it only different for now until it kind of reveals more about what's really going on? It, it, in some ways, I feel like this is a show that was designed to be consumed as a BuzzFeed listicle about all the little things that they're referencing and mm. the Easter eggs that are being shown in there. Because as a television experience, I didn't really find it that intriguing. I, I don't want to go back to it that much. And I, I'm also very skeptical about the idea of 22 minute installments weekly feeling satisfactory you know the mandalorian has pulled this off but it gives you a hour-long adventure each week and you know even i'm a little bit skeptical about the mandalorian but i'm, I'm even a little more skeptical about wandavision so far feige's long-form epic series this 225 million dollar budgeted project which it is a miniseries it's up on letterboxd Right? Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you. I don't know if they're going to go for season two. Doesn't feel like it. And they don't, I mean, I guess they kind of do. These are movies now. Like, th this is, instead of yeah. WandaVision getting her movie, how can they make it long form? But cut it up, just like the Quibi boy said. Hey, love your project. Can you cut that up into 10 minutes? Here it's different. Cut it up into 22s. Uh, it's not even 22s. Did you notice how long those end credits are? They are ridiculously mm -hmm. long. Like the first one was, I think, five minutes or more. It's a lot. We talked about how this is going to lead into Doctor Strange. And we've covered on Intercut how they said, yeah. you want phase four? You got to watch the shows, which means that if you're not watching the shows, you will not be able to be connected to the movies and vice versa. And just like The Mandalorian, Disney's been doing this bad, this thing, uh, like The Boys on Amazon, where they want you coming back for more. It's the, the easiest way to extend this. And yeah. We're a broken record here about movies, TV. They've been combined. I'm not the biggest fan of the first couple of episodes. And you're right. It feels like you need to have these Easter eggs. But I do think that they're going to build up to something. Because, again, they are doing that thing where stick around. That's all they want you to do is to just continue coming back for more. And with the expense of I it, guess... it's going to have to be something. Because it's going to connect to Doctor I... Strange 2. And we've been seeing all these leaks for everything else. We've been seeing the stuff for what they're going to have with the Hawkeye show. With what they're going to have with the Loki show. I don't want to judge it fully yet, obviously, because it's not completely out, <laughs> right. but I, I get what you mean. I guess my concern partly comes from the fact that they are doling it out in this weekly format. And you mentioned at 20-something minutes, it, it feels very slight. You know, it kind of feels like there's no really B plot line happening in mm -hmm. these episodes so far. It's just kind of a surface-level narrative, and there's, you know, little Easter egg moments that they quickly try to brush off to the side. Maybe episode four and episode five, five is going to flip it all on its head. Seven. But... I sometimes push back against how often you're like, put it all out at once. I want to binge the whole season at once. I kind of feel like this feels like it was better off as a binge. Judging from not seeing the whole thing, maybe I'll know, but I don't know. I, I don't look forward going back to going back, watching 17 minutes of cheesy humor to get a three-minute Easter egg about the greater significance in the MCU. It's changed. We, I always said three episodes should be enough to get your feet wet. If, you, if they got you on the subscription, they're going to be like, you'll be around. You can join it whenever you want. So I think it's going to take more than three episodes. That's crazy that you could put three episodes out and still not get to the meat of what it's supposed to be. But I think there will be mm -hmm. meat there. There better be meat at 25 mil an episode. I'm Supposedly sure. the most I'm expensive. Sure. So we'll see. Yeah. Should we talk about our friend? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is one of my favorites. Of this past week. So, yeah, this this is a movie that first premiered at TIFF uh, 2019. 2019. Yeah, we were there. I believe. 
so a little while ago, a movie starring Dakota Johnson, Casey Affleck, and Jason Siegel based on a prize-winning, I believe it's GQ article Esquire. called The Friend. Oh, Esquire article uh, about a friend who moved in with a couple after the uh, wife's diagnosis with terminal cancer, I believe at 34. So yeah, this is a, a retelling of that story and one that's done very earnestly and very honestly. It's trying mm -hmm. to give you a very uh, real representation of this experience of uh, losing someone to a disease at a premature age and tackling that with kids and also just this dynamic that they develop around their friendship. For me, though, I was a little bit uninvolved and unsurprised by a lot of what happened, and I found just the execution of it to be a little bit unremarkable. Okay. It's a very good showcase for its actors because it's tender and it's heartfelt and the emotions are, are turned all the way up by the end. Uh, Dota, but there's moments like Dakota Johnson who saying I'm so ugly now because she's going through cancer treatment and hair loss. And like, I'm sorry, but no, it's still Dakota Johnson. Like Bro. it's not even Dakota Johnson with a lot of like aging makeup. It's just Dakota Johnson in a wig. And she's, not somebody who looks like she's going through cancer treatment right now. Like, I, no. Uh, the kids also never really seem to age. It goes back and forth through several years. There's just some production flaws that, to me, hinder the film's believability. Uh, and I kind of felt the non-linear non storytelling obscures the emotion of the story rather than enhancing it, which is a shame because I really love non-linear storytelling. Um, so, uh, but... That's my perception of it. I think you had a more favorable reaction to our friend. But I don't disagree with anything you said. You know, <laughs> you had brought up yeah. how um, the the dude, the one who Casey plays, he is a writer. Uh, he said that when he went to TIFF, he was sitting there alongside with the same writer who did the Rolling Stone piece that would become A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And uh, one made it all the way, you know, uh, mm -hmm. all the way to the Oscars, whereas his kind of got critiqued. And while I am big on like, go ahead, call out someone who may have said that your movie was wrong. I like how the producer in that New York Times piece that he did came out and went, hey, mm. buddy, I know it's close to home, but it's OK, because I don't disagree with all of your critiques. It jumps around a ridiculous amount. The thing that you said about her coming out saying, woe is me, it reminded me of uh, Ready Player One when what's her name mm. goes, oh, my gosh, I'm so I'm like, bro, you're going to be like one of the actresses who's going to be with us for the longest time. I'm blinking on her name right, right. now, but it was ridiculous. Olivia Just, Cook. Olivia Olivia, no. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel all of that. I had a great time with it. I, 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 I mean, it's it's got its ups and downs with it, but I really enjoyed mm -hmm. the dynamic that they have going with it. Um, not to compare it to the climb, but it kind of has that dynamic in terms of like this trio mm -hmm. of, of friendship uh, and how they're able to work off of each other. Um, I really like Jason Siegel. I feel like he is going to be someone who's going to be even funnier the older that he gets because I just feel like his yeah. humor is going to work uh, just like it did in this one as being that almost father, uncle, eventually grandfather figure who's looking over them. He's, mm -hmm. he's got those comedic bits where he's just able to break the tension uh, and it makes he's you He's taken warm. a much more serious turn since he took that mm -hmm. role in the end of the tour, but he still has this very charming uh, everyman quality to him that I, yeah, I think he's really good in this movie. I, th I think to me, he's the standout in this movie. Easily. I want to see more roles like this for him. He was great. Uh, Casey just being Casey. <laughs> Every single <Yeah. laughs> Um, just Casey Affleck, just in this movie again. He did fine, uh, but I did. Yeah. I thought it was very. Um, it, I I think it's worth the the watch. I think it's worth the rent. That I know right now it's at nineteen ninety nine. Maybe mm -hmm. not at that price point, but uh, if it was like a nine ninety nine rental, I think it's an interesting movie to catch. Yeah, I'm saying all of this criticism against it, while also knowing that for a couple people out there, this is going to be like. An amazing movie to them. Yeah. And, and and that's okay. Like, I understand because it does give you a pretty honest perspective on, on this type of situation. It's just that as a movie, I didn't find it very engaging. I didn't find, uh, it, you know, to be really wrestling with the conflict at the center of it. You know, you, you mentioned the New York Times piece, and there's a really interesting piece in the New York Times written by Nicole Sperling about Matthew Teague, the guy who's... Uh, article this is based on, whose life this is based on, and it's about what it's like when critics uh, reject the film that's basically based on your own story. And, you know, I feel for him in a certain sense because I'm sure that's a really 
tough situation to go through. But at the same time, that I think there's a reason why real life and movies are different. Like sometimes have to be. Sometimes real life doesn't make for the best movie, and, and it's a obviously very interesting situation but it, it doesn't have the elements that i'm looking for in a movie a lot of the time mm-hmm. so it, uh, you know it's an interesting situation i'll leave a link to the article down below because i, I you know it's a weird predicament to be in but yeah and the unfortunately, esquire i just the esquire piece as yeah, well because I, I just, that's one where there's a lot of bits from what he covered there and also the medium of having it be a personal essay that translates way differently than when you're casting actors and adapting the story to be something. And like you said, the way that they play with the timelines and such. So it is a different emotional impact that you get depending not only on the medium but certain things that are covered. Um, and like you said, what would have been in the essay about his wife feeling ugly doesn't translate to the screen when you have – an actress who may not sell it at that point, especially when they don't get really into it and seeing mm-hmm. her as sick as she got the way that he described. So yeah, it's unfortunate, but uh, I think once this hits the streaming service, a lot of people will be talking about this one. They're going to like it. Totally. Um, so yeah, catch it, catch it once it's at least a 999 runs on my opinion. All right, so that's about all that we've been watching. Let us know what you've been watching in the comments on YouTube or by shooting us an email. The address for that is intercutpod at gmail.com. We're going to move on to the interview where we take questions from cutie intercuties like you, the viewer or listener at home. Uh, We got a bunch of great questions from Twitter, from YouTube, from Instagram even. So uh, be sure to send in questions to see them featured on a future episode of Intercut. Let's start it off here with a question from Twitter where Rone asked us, what's the furthest from home that you've traveled for a film festival? Uh, Feel like your answer is either going to be Sundance or TIFF. I I, I don't know what's farther from Chicago. Got the brand new posters right there. I know yours was, I was doing it on the map. I was like, I know how far Toronto is from you because my first Toronto, I went from New York there. Um, Obviously it's Sundance for you. I don't know if you've ever done one in Cali. I I haven't done a, a film festival in Cali, so yeah, Sundance is the farthest, unless like you think crossing the border into Canada makes TIFF farther by default. But it's just like a seven-hour drive from where I am, so that's it, not so bad. Yeah, not not so far from Chicago either. There's a little divot you do, so I think it's Sundance. Yeah. I actually though, when I was fourteen, I took a trip with my parents, and uh, we went to England. We traveled from city to city to different sites. And this was right about the time that I was starting to get really serious about films. So I looked up film festivals and found out about the Cambridge Film Festival. I have no idea if it's even like a a good festival or whatever, but it's a film festival. And it was happening at the same time as our trip. And somehow I convinced my parents to spend two days in Cambridge where I saw three movies. I saw Hollow City, an Angolan film. I saw The Ritchie Boys, a documentary about Holocaust uh, survivors. And I saw Steam Boy, uh, an anime film. So, you know, maybe I'm not doing this right now if not for that experience. There you go. So that is yours then. It's not Sundance. It's England. It is the Cambridge Film Festival. It's the Cambridge Film Festival. Right, that's fire. That's dope. Although I didn't travel for that. It was just... No, no, no. That's not... No, no, no. Yeah. He was there. It was, a, it was a work trip. The whole thing was a business expense. 14 years old. Look at that. You're beating out Lights, yeah. Camera, Jackson. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Learn a little more about each other every day. Uh, on YouTube, Garrett posted, Curious about both of your home theater setups. What model TV and sound systems do you use? I'm really bad with uh, the tech stuff. I don't even have a sound system right now i mean i need to really uh redo this thing but i've got a samsung i I don't even really know what model but i know you're more into the home theater thing well you break it down what do you got i watch everything off this ipad right here uh really big ipad (laughs) the way scorsese intended oh i said that yeah the ipad pro first generation just capture it all no i mean you cannot replace the theater experience that's one of the things we are very pro at the accessibility at home never gonna bash that but I understand the purists. We'll be talking about Tenant on the channel eventually. But we both recognize that we haven't fully experienced Tenant, even though we have felt it. Don't think about it too much. Uh, nothing will ever replace Dolby. Nothing will ever replace IMAX. But what I have is one of the LG OLEDs, uh, which I think mm. is one of, one of the better ones that's out there right now. I would love to get a Panasonic, but I, I heard you can't even get those into the States. Like they sell them in Canada and you'd have to like smuggle it in. But I hear that has some of the greatest picture quality. Um, eventually, I would like to get a projector, but I watch all my stuff off of an OG OLED. 
uh, you have to have all the lights off, but it's got like the best performance when it comes to like just the blacks, the saturation, the colors. I think it looks beautiful, um, especially when you pop in Apple TV with HDR. I have a Samsung setup in terms of audio, but I'm starting to upgrade stuff to Sonos because right now I think that may be the best system. I have a Sonos in the office, um, but it's just the bar. My brother has like the Sonos bar. He's got the Sonos bass and he's got the things in the back. That said, though, we both live in apartments. So I think the first time he ran his Sonos system, the lady upstairs, I think he was playing like some Jurassic Park. The lady upstairs thought there was monsters. So <laughs> until we actually get like our own place itself, yeah. I'm a deck it out with like a big old subwoofer. And I think eventually the goal would be to get a projector. But uh, as of now, I think the uh, anything that's OLED, I think, are the best. Uh, Sony's, are they're doing a pretty good job with it, but... We're getting close to having really good setups at home. They're just really expensive at the time being. But I definitely think if you're a cinephile, it is worth the investment starting to just save for something that's at least decent quality picture. But never skimp on the sound. People forget how much you get. And it doesn't have to be something big. There are some setups that are like 200 bucks, and you can get like a surround sound uh, thing. It's still kind of expensive, but it is worth it is worth the money. It's worth the money. Yeah, yeah. Now, now that you've thoroughly shamed me for not having uh, a better setup, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably invest in something more soon. You know, I, I, I kind of had my my first. Uh, I had to get some other apartment expenses done. You know, I, I got my place, so I, it's time that I, I upgraded what I've got. So I don't know. Maybe somebody can tell me what I should get. We tell will me, leave open a comment up below. The intercut movie theaters soon, and there yeah. will be one in every area. Uh, Chase of the Hanging with a Zarian hey, podcast. Good podcast. Has uh, said he's been getting into reading recently, wondering if we have any favorite film history books. Chase just finished up How Star Wars Conquered the Universe, which he highly recommends. Art, do you have uh, anything that came to mind? He was mentioning history. I don't have as many on history as I do kind of. I guess it's half history. Yeah. Half like stuff that's going on right now. I feel like I've read a lot more film theory than I have that, film like, history. Yeah, I had an acting one over here that's been on my list, Method Acting and It's Discontents, just talking about like the psychology of acting and such, um, which mm-hmm. kind of gets you into the history of it, right, in order to yeah. uh, teach you the stuff. But one that I would bring up, it, it's two books that I have right now, No Rules, Rules, Netflix, and The Culture of Reinvention, um, and then Streaming, Sharing, Stealing. Those are two books that will be history eventually talking about the streaming age and what we have now. So maybe don't consider it history, but I think it's important to understand what is happening now uh, while also going back and and seeing how we got here with uh, a lot of the other uh, books that may be out there on the whole film system. Which one do you have? Yeah. Um, You know, I'm, you know, I'm not staying at my apartment right now. So Mm -hmm. all my books are, at my place and I wanted to go look and like remember the things that I've read, but um, I'm struggling to remember all of them for whatever reason. What's co- one thing that's coming to mind is uh, Roger Ebert's awake in the dark. While it's not necessarily mm. a film history, getting that perspective on all these different movies, a- a few people write about movies as eloquently as Ebert, I think the does go. teach you a lot. Uh, so that's one I would shout out. I'd shout out the Adam Naiman books that I've been picking up recently. Uh, previously, he, uh, put out the Coen Brothers. This book really ties the room together, which is a great history of different Coen Brothers movie, it, 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 movies. It comes with essays about each of the different movies. Uh, more recently, uh, he put out Paul Thomas Anderson Masterworks. I've been waiting to dig into that one, so uh, I'll shout out that book as well. And then I know you said film history, but one of my favorite books about media history in general is Alan Seppenwall's The Revolution Was Televised. And he kind of, through that book, he picks like 11 or 12 different TV shows that kind of started the prestige TV era and shows kind of how through each of these shows, they kind of evolve what TV does. Uh, it, It is a little bit talking about like the Breaking Bad era rather than, you know, maybe the more recent era, but he does talk about some other show. I think he mentions Game of Thrones on that show, but it's just such a uh, comprehensive look at how TV has evolved in the past few years. Uh, I I really like Alan Seppenwall as a writer, and I really like that book. So yeah, The Revolution was televised, Adam Naiman's books, and Roger Ebert's Awake in the Dark. 
would be my picks. Nice. Ethan asked us, out of the films that have not been accessible to the public yet, which ones do you think have the best chance of reaching the Academy Awards? We are recording right now on the day that the Malcolm and Marie review embargo was lifted. And uh, it does not look like it's going to be Malcolm and Marie spoiling the party if film critics have any say in it. Granted, this has got some uh, shots at film film critics that maybe is putting it in that Birdman territory of like, it's just offended all the wrong people. It was like literally. Uh, when I'm, from what I'm hearing, we we have not gotten screeners for it. What I'm hearing nope. it was it's like it's like this close from just name dropping. <laughs> they gave outlines. They gave descriptions like you would give the police. The critic looked like this. Uh, <laughs> the white guy from IndieWire. Yeah. So I'm so excited to see Malcolm and Marie. <laughs> I just found out what it was. I've only seen the posters and the controversy that was behind it. Um, but I know Sam Levinson, I guess, went full meta with this because it's about a filmmaker and his girlfriend coming back from a premiere. So I guess he went yeah. as full into it as he could. Minari, dude. It's Minari. I, that one yeah, technically I mean, has not been released to the public and I still have uh, extremely high hopes that it will be able to carry it through. Judas and the, and the, and the Messiah, like, that's that, the got, dis, that got um, the uh, score just got disqualified. One in oh, Miami really? score also just got disqualified. Yeah, they're they're doing yeah. the cuts right now, leading up to February fifth when they're going to drop the shortlist. So there's also that to contend with. But I'm still hoping that Minari, which also just had it, still coming off of its Globe stuff, uh, is able to carry itself through because that one hasn't yeah. been fully released. Yeah. The the answer, if you're including stuff that did have film festival runs, is either Minari or Nomadland. Obviously, Nomadland mm-hmm. is going to be huge at the Oscars. Uh, but the answer, if you're talking about films that haven't even screamed at festivals, is definitely Judas and the Black Messiah. The people who have seen that have nothing but raves about it. It, it looks pretty phenomenal, too. Mm-hmm. And I think the placement at Sundance is a good sign here as it's trying to kind of launch its award season run. So I, I would put my money on Judas and the Black Messiah being one of the late films to crack that best picture 10 uh, Neon August wants to know what are some smaller films from 2021 that we should keep an eye on this is kind of a hard question to answer because like what is a small film like are we just talking about the movies that aren't Dune and James Bond and In the Heights because um, you know we've seen a couple movies that got pushed to 2021 like Zola uh, the number one that I would throw out there is The Disciple which you know I really want you to As see one. Art. yeah uh, that's definitely one to keep an eye on. Shiva Baby, which you had on your best of 2020 list, still Fantastic. is technically not out. So, yeah, th- there's some smaller films like that or uh, Jumbo. But thinking about films that maybe no one's seen, uh, obviously, I don't know if this film's going to come out yet. But some people think that Bing Lu's upcoming film about gun violence in Chicago is going to come out at some point this year. And I mean, that's anytime- right. Like, if the dude from Minding the Gap has got a new movie out, I'm going to be first in line. Okay. Uh, yeah, that would be my choice. I don't know if you had any ideas on this one. I mean, you said, I don't know what you would describe as a small film. Does that mean it just doesn't have a big budget to be able to push out? Is it supposed to be not a known filmmaker who's already won an Oscar? The best thing I could say is Slam Dance. You know, if you want truly small films that nobody knows about, Slam Dance, it's still 10 bucks for you to get that. And I really like that they were getting uh, press that early, access to the entire festival so that they have stuff coming out so that, I don't know, when the festival is out, the people who are attending it virtually are able to know what to have on their list. Uh, we're going to have dispatches from Sundance as well. But I guess mm-hmm. maybe to mention for this and also kind of add to the to the previous one, Supernova. I know that's going to start having screenings yeah. next week. And I'm just going to be 100% honest. I have had my list of my five actors. It even pushes to six or seven. I'm a little worried that the ones who I don't want, who, the ones that I want to make it will not get the nomination. And, and you know, it's an honor just to be nominated. It is a big deal just to be nominated. Mm-hmm. I think some, I think one, one of the boys from Supernova might snub. And again, I haven't seen it. So maybe it's not even a snub, but I feel they're going to just dismantle the perfect five that I want to get nominated. Um, right. So I'll add that one as a list because I know that's been one that hasn't also been screened to the public. A little bit of a smaller independent awards season film uh, that'll start getting some uh, more screenings starting next week virtually. Definitely. Yeah, that's a that's a good Stanley one to point Tucci, out. man. <laughs> <laughs> Max Hightower left us a question. Do you think we'll see at least one woman nominated for best director? And also three. said lots of love. For- 
from Spain. Very cool to hear from our listeners from around the globe. Yeah, like you said, I think it's not a question of whether or not we'll see one, but if we'll get more than one, Chloe Zhao, it seems like she's just about a lock for a nomination at this point. Win. And then you've got Regina King, Emerald our Fell, love. Kelly Reichert. So Ooh. what do you think, Art? Are we going to get more than Eliza one female Hitman? best director nominee? Yeah. I I would love it. Gold Derby has her odds pretty low, and it kind of feels like people are just going to forget about Never Really, Sometimes Always. Not me. I think that there should be more. Yeah. I think they killed it this year. I think they produced some of the best movies this year. Um, even some of my favorite male directors don't count because they're Emmys. You know, you can't even get Bad Education nominated in, in terms of the Oscars. So I, I don't see how it's... Yeah, I don't see how... It's not. I'd be very, very, very surprised. Yeah, I I feel like there's a chance we'll only get one, but for sure, at least one. I think Regina and Chloe. And I think Chloe should win. Yeah, that's what I'm going with as well. Howard on Instagram says, for any film awards, what categories would you guys add beside best stunts? I would like to see a best blocking category at some point. Best blocking is a great choice. If would probably be my second because in a way like stunt choreography mm-hmm. is best blocking. Although that's kind of best stunts as well. Uh, but if we can't go with stunts, what would you pick, Art? To add to the Oscars? Um, We always talk about casting. I do think that casting in and of itself, just the process of that or the ensemble uh, are two awards that should be recognized. I think marketing is important. I mean, the entire Oscars revolves around campaigns. And I think that the marketing uh, department when it comes to films is also a really big deal. Uh, Personally, I would love to see that recognized in some form because that doesn't get recognized at any award show at all. So... Maybe yeah. I'm in the minority there, but I, I do think that the, a lot of the marketing uh, that we do for several films, especially now that we're going to have so many films that are doing ARG, uh, the Searching Boys, they picked up a, a project with Reeves, and that's going to be something that spreads around to uh, a multitude of things. And we've had previous films in the past and stuff that are going to want to play, especially in the age of streaming, with different types of um, promotion and how they release the stuff. So I think marketing would be a good one. And just stunts, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, stunts is good. I, I was going to go with best casting or, or best ensemble, like you said. Uh, I feel like, you know, casting in particular can be such an art when you look at all the different considerations uh, that go into it, especially, you know, you look at some movies that have kind of like meta casting and stuff like that mm-hmm. I love, uh, for, for that to be awarded. <laughs> it's funny because I now I want to say best sound editing and mixing because they've combined those categories and I never think they don't think they should have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. Uh, I, we've talked in the past about the best mixed media performance also in relation to like the motion capture performances in a film like planet of the apes or revenge of the planet of the apes. Um, and maybe we don't see quite so many of those every year, but something to, award the Andy circuses of the world who are able to kind of transcend the barrier between uh, CGI and human performance is mm-hmm. also something that I think would be cool to award. Janae asks, what's your favorite underrated awards category that deserves more credit? Uh, I was just talking about sound editing, but yo, sound editing is really cool, man. They, they make things sound like other things. And yeah, th- he's a, there's a guy and he, he hits like a, a chicken bone and that's like it's like a bone cracking and i don't know that that's that's film production to me man they that's movie magic the spam they, yeah now you got terminated you got the t1000 um i agree with you i we were really upset when they tried to combine did they actually combined it didn't they they combined them yeah Dicks. um <laughs> you know there's a lot of categories i believe should be expanded upon um Mm-hmm. In terms of cinematography, you know, that goes to the director of photography, but there's a lot more that comes to it, be it from the person who's actually controlling the camera and maneuvering it to whoever is dealing maybe more so with lighting and such. And I feel that there's a lot more that comes to the cinematography aspect. You had mentioned visual effects and how there is still practical effects. There is still the performers themselves who are doing the motion capture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think some of the most underrated stuff would be the shorts. I think that a lot of people, that's usually the time where they leave. And I think that when you're looking uh, at shorts, 
if you're nominating nominating the right ones, you're seeing filmmakers that are going to be here in the future. You're seeing uh, films that will become Oscar winners from Whiplash to mm-hmm. a bunch of others. And I think that uh, many times we don't pay attention to those. Um, but now in the a lot that, of the oh, short films are great. And like, a, watching the short films program is always yeah. entertaining. But where do you see them after the fact if you're not at a film festival, right? And now right. because of things like movie, movie, uh, Netflix is picking up a lot more shorts. You now have the ability to actually see these because those have been the most difficult things. I know that for a lot of producers and a lot of people talked about this in Fantasia, uh, they don't believe they make money. So because mm-hmm. they don't believe they make money, they just see them as kind of like test reels. Uh, and now we live in a world where <laughs> people will pay to see short content <laughs> and not have to pay mm-hmm. quibby prices for it. So... Yeah, I think that's definitely going to have focus. Another category that might be underrated by some people that I'll, I'll shout out is best editing. Just because in a way, best editing They don't editing understand is, it? It's almost... Well, yeah. First of all, the people who give out the award seem like they don't understand it. But, but second of all, in a just world, it feels like best editing is kind of just another best picture. Because you're saying this is the film that had the best pacing and movement and, and worked best as like a movie to you tell know? the story and the direction and maneuver the best shots yeah a lot of really? time best editing is a good indicator of what's going to win best picture it's not always an indicator but i think there's a reason for that because editing mm-hmm. is so linked with the overall quality of the final product that's fair our last question comes in from ismail who says what's a real world event or person's biopic that you haven't seen on screen that you would think you think would be great. Do you have an answer for this one? Bro. I was going to joke and you were just mentioning editing and Bohemian I know one editing and I was just going to say that uh, I would love to still see the version of a biopic for Freddie Mercury. Um, but again, I was looking back at a lot of the Sundance Institute. They do this thing where they bring in a couple of people, you know, every mm-hmm. year and they work with them at the Sundance Labs which will eventually end up producing movies like eh, Hereditary, Boy State, you know, just some absolute bangers. There's this one called Chalino, and it is going to be made by Jesus Celaya. He's going to be the writer-director. It's about Chalino Sanchez. I don't know if you know anything about this man if we're talking about biopics, bro. He made these things called Corridos, and it's practically like, if you think about rap and how they talk about their upbringing and all the stuff that they did, this is the Mexican version of it. This dude... (laughs) The video's up on YouTube. This man read his death threat up on stage. Crumbled it. (laughs) Chugged the tequila. Continued the concert. It is some crazy stuff that I think now in the world of people loving narcos, in the world of people wanting to make a series out of absolutely everything, uh, my sister and I were having a whole conversation about this man and and the music that he made. So when I told her, yo, Sundance has picked a dude to actually work on a biopic for him, I think that that's going to be a future banger. I think that this one, if they do it right and it's in the hands of, again, of a lab that I do trust, we're going to have like a whole other, we had the Italian gangster wave, right? Mm. We've had the modern crime thrillers. I think that there's going to be a whole fascination with cartels that we've seen with Netflix and Narcos and just how everybody else has expanded on it. And I think the story of Chalino, a true story, is going to be something yeah. that's going to be big out there. Very cool. you? Um, you know, the thing about biopics is I think a lot of times people confuse somebody who's lived an interesting life with somebody whose story you want to see depicted on screen. Like, I think about the Angelina Jolie film from a few years ago, Unbroken, about uh, Louis Zamperini. Don't do it like And, like, that. maybe few people have lived a more interesting life than Louis Zamperini, but that doesn't necessarily translate to being, like, an amazing movie. So I think something that you want if you're choosing is something that inherently has a lot of conflict. I just thought of this like right as uh, we were talking about this now, but I almost want like an I Tanya style movie about the person who didn't uh, come out of a bo- boy band and get great success. I'm thinking like, what's that guy's name? JC from Sync, the one who wasn't Justin. Okay. Like give me the I Tanya about JC. About the character that didn't make it? That would be interesting. Yeah. That'd be interesting. I feel like there's a lot of those stories where it would take a while to get them developed only because they're going to wait for everybody who's too close to the project to get too old. It's kind of like what we've talked about. We love Jordan's The Last Dance, but it's Jordan's Mm -hmm. The Last Dance. There will still come a point where we're going to get a bunch of these, be it docuseries or whatever it is, uh, 
where they're not gonna they're gonna get into the nitty gritty of these characters and really play them full out. What's interesting is we had Vice about Dick Cheney, right? So you know it's only a matter of time, Zach. <laughs> Before we get the Dottie biopic. It might be Adam McKay. It might be Adam McKay. You know that's yeah. going to be a Gotti-style movie. It's just going mm-hmm. to be. It's going to be a mob yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's about it for our interview. Thank you for sending in a question. Please be an intercutie and send us one in the future to hear it answered on the show. Either leave it in the comments on YouTube, hit us up on social media at IntercutPod, or email us intercutpod at gmail.com. Uh, do you want to hit a couple of quick topics, just not even yeah, get that go. much into them? For sure. There's been some news. There's uh, all the stuff around Moon Knight that we haven't talked about. They got Oscar Isaac to do a t- Disney show about a character that most people haven't even heard of. They brought in Ethan Hawke to be the villain, despite the fact that he's trashed Marvel movies, We've said they're garbage that. in the past. But he, but he's picking up his bag, Ching. and they've got some awesome directors on board. Our boys. boys, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, from various films, uh, from I- indie properties. What do you think, man? Is this a show that has garnered your interest based on the people they've brought in already? Keep learning something new with you every single time. I had no idea it was Oscar Isaac, and then you told me it was Oscar Isaac. I was like, damn, uh, I know it was a show. <laughs> so I think that's. I did not know that. Okay, so it's interesting. They got Oscar Isaac after everyone in the Star Wars thing said, you ain't going Disney Plus. Boyega didn't get Disney Plus. He got Amazon Prime. But at least uh, they got great talent with it. I I like that the Endless, they went from Endless to being able to do Synchronic, uh, which is a decent movie, but they were able to get even bigger, uh, a bigger cast. They they didn't have to be in the camera as well. They could focus behind the scenes. I am very curious to see what they're going to do with the budget. I'm never against that. Uh, I guess it adds to the shows, but yeah, hey, Ethan Hawke. I guess, I guess so. We change our minds on it. It'll be interesting to see. Are you excited for it? It's an interesting I guess character. I, you know, the, that's the thing with a lot of these properties. It's like they they're paying a lot of people I like, so I I guess I need to check it out. I but guess. um, I don't know. You know, so they have them all. I kind of want to hear more about it or see more about it. That's fair. I, I don't know. That's fair. What else we got? There was a brief moment where it was rumored Chris Evans was going to return to the MCU. He went on to deny it, but I don't know. What do you think? Yay or nay? Is he going to be back? Well, he may not come back as Captain America. You know, he can come back as the guy who Captain America was based on and play just that (laughs) character. Um, I do feel that they're going to bring them all back in flashback form in some way or another. Like, we already did time travel. Like, did people forget we did time travel? Why would we not? Uh, We'll see. Somebody on Twitter brought up the fact that because they now lack Chadwick Boseman, who in many ways people think they are positioning him to be kind of the new Captain America, that that they need somebody like him to at least maybe help pass uh, the leadership role on. What happened to Shuri? I'm kidding. I mean... (laughs) You know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what they do. I, I find it weird that it he would return. But, it, you know, I also don't think that he's I, when they say they're closing the door. I don't know if they're really closing the door. Mm-hmm. It's Marvel. Nobody's dead for real. They can always figure something you, out. You don't think it? he will? It turns out now he will. So his final line could put. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. The Snyder Cut is officially a four-hour movie, not a miniseries, according to Zack Snyder. How do you feel about this mammoth-length superhero flick? May I? Scorsese's Irishman was how long? (laughs) Three and a half? People saw it how? You don't decide whether it's a four-hour movie anymore. If it's going to be released at home, look, I'm going to watch it all in one go. (laughs) People ask, how do you binge a movie? Sir, <laughs> turns out the new way of watching movies is a lot of people watch it in parts. People are going to watch this in parts. People are going to watch it as a whole if they want to. Um, I'm excited for it. I, I care how they delivered it. At least this way, it'll be a cohesive thing. I still think that there is a difference between a movie, between a uh, a series and a miniseries, just like I still think there's a difference between, there should be, a mixtape and an album. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, how did this man go from losing the project to then getting the literal Zach same budget again 
for the movie he already half worked on. It's insane to me. It is crazy. I know that they are so excited for it. The Snyder fans have been waiting a very long time. I'm glad that they're getting the four-hour cut. This is the Justice League movie, right? Zack Snyder's the Justice League movie, sir. Yeah. For a second, I was like, is this Batman v Superman? Or like, I, I don't even know. I'm so disinterested in any of this. And don't forget I don't... Wonder Woman just came out. And that is still a character who can fly now. Yeah. Maybe I don't think I've will. seen Justice League, actually. You want me to send you a copy? If I've rated it on Letterboxd, I have seen it. And I just forgot everything about it. It's that type of movie. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, I think I'm just going to wait and try and watch the Snyder Cut and... and judge that as its own thing but are you are you more excited to see if um does justice league can now be dark seed dark side in this new uh adaptation or are you more interested in the real life version of the justice league cast members trying to get justice for the stuff that happened while they filmed justice league with josh whedon i don't know if you heard about that either but that's what we got going on now the flash is in this movie right the flash is in this movie that, that's pretty much as what as far as i know um <laughs> Uh, uh, lastly, uh, we were talking a little bit about this before we started filming, but Netflix is just snapping up all sorts of properties Dude. as they Dude, fill out playing. their roster for another year where we uh, might not get a lot of films being produced or released in theaters. You know, we, seven. I, just got 007 got delayed. Uh, there's Again. a lot of rumors that Black Widow's got about to get pushed back because Disney pushed back a whole bunch of other movies. Yeah. So what do you think about this latest Netflix move? Look, uh, I was telling Zach they had picked up this series for a novel, uh, Lessons in Chemistry. It stars Brie Larson. This is a book that doesn't come out till 2022. <laughs> They're already working on the show. They fought for the rights, uh, and that's from the writer Varen Brockovich. The I was really excited for this one, Connected, right? This is a Sony animation that Netflix came in. There was a huge battle, and this is a reminder, there are battles going on they are bidding for it like it's a film festival that's usually when we keep up with mm-hmm. the sales these are sales that are still happening throughout the year like free agents they picked it up yeah. changed apple the name tv to plus the has a whole lot of empty room on their service that they're waiting to fill up with movies Zach, like these did you see what they did they extended what? all of the free trials to june Who? oh i was i was getting ready to cancel mine cool is there any more of an admission that we don't have anything for y'all than to just be like please stick around it is an embarrassment. I have been very adamant on that. Uh, Disney Plus is finally coming in with their stuff. But yeah, dude, Lessons in Chemistry. They picked up the Mitchells versus the Machines, which is now uh, was known as Connected. Now they have Chris Lord, Phil Miller's. I'm excited for a lot of the stuff that they have picking up. It's just showing you that they are a behemoth. They are not going anywhere. They are just expanding. They have stuff in South Korea. They have stuff over in the Middle East. They have stuff, I believe, even in Africa that they're making. They are just sprouting up places everywhere. Uh, The little engine that they thought couldn't has, Mm -hmm. and it's influencing everybody else who said that it was dumb to buy all these things, and now everyone's realizing, actually, we should be buying all these things. And now we got Marvel Mm -hmm. shows at home. Yeah, it's just interesting to me how long Sony and Paramount are going to keep selling their movies off to Netflix. I mean, Paramount in particular is trying to launch their own streaming service later this year. So, you know, how long will Netflix even be able to do this before they just go out and maybe buy Paramount or something? You know, I mean, Paramount doesn't know what they're doing. It's Paramount Plus, but it's also CBS All Access. No, it's Paramount Plus. No, it's CBS All Access. It's like HBO. They don't know what they're doing. Chris Nolan says, I'm about to leave them and go do something else. <laughs> it's it's crazy. It's crazy, man. All right. So let's get into our final segment of this and every week. It's the new to see where we give you our picks for the week. Art, what should the people watch? I have been pushing this film since last Sundance. It was one of my favorites. Just came off of winning the Gotham Award. That is identifying mm-hmm. features or non-identifying features for the full translation. I believe this has been playing in a couple of virtual uh, theaters. It is now available. Hopefully, I think it's to buy. I, I always forget how they're doing these rollouts. Somehow, sometimes it is a rental. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. I think it's one of the best uh, films of the year. I hope this one gets... Well, actually, it won't get an international uh, award because Mexico submitted... Uh, I'm no longer here. Another fantastic film. That yeah. one's on Netflix. But Identifying Features is finally out. I thought that was pretty good. Um, I caught this one at New Fest, uh, a movie called Breaking Fast, which we covered yeah. uh, earlier la- or later last year. <laughs> um, I thought that one was pretty good. Another movie that kind of 
it's an LGBT tale, but at the same time, it's also kind of talking about like religion and how those two intertwine while being a romance movie as well. And our friend, I do think it's a little too expensive right now at the moment at the $19.99 price points, but if you're able to like share it with somebody or have people over safely, uh, I thought it was a pretty good watch. If not, The Climb, I believe, is out on the Criterion channel yeah. this weekend. So those are my picks for yeah, the week. I, I'm excited to catch up with The Climb. I, it's been over a year since I saw that one, and I like it quite a bit. Um, <laughs> okay. That's a good one. I have I have a couple new picks uh, for people. Just fresh out on Hulu is the special Derek DeGaudio's uh, De in and of itself. A really, really interesting special. You love this Derek one. Derek I, I did kind of love this one. Derek DeGaudio is an illusionist, a, a magician of sorts, but this is unlike any other magic special that I've seen. It's very existential in nature. It's got this kind of like performance art quality to it. It begins with this long personal monologue, just telling a story and, and kind of sets into place these different characters that he talks about. In fact, about half an hour into this magic, ostensibly a magic special, he's done maybe like two magic tricks. But I think there's just so many interesting things that he sets up here uh, that it kind of kept me along. There's a, a early uh, monologue that he has talking about a, a dog and a wolf that I feel like you could just like pick up and put it into any card shark gambling movie and it would feel just like it'd feel okay. ready for the rounders two script or something but then you know he does some dazzling stuff with a sleight of hand magic with uh cards it's cool but it's not necessarily things you haven't seen other magicians do then he takes it up to a whole other level in terms of the way he's able to manipulate his audience you first get a hint of it because there's this book that he has mm -hmm. um, that he asks people to take home with them and then bring to the next show and it, it just it's it's part of him setting the stage for a, a, a show that really changes the way that you look at how an illusion can be pulled off that illusions aren't just about props and, and items on stage, but you can kind of create an illusion with an emotional reaction. And I think there's something very fascinating about that. I was really blown away by yeah. this piece of media. I hope more people check it out. I'm very curious to see what other people think about it. Derek DiGaudio's In and Of Itself on Hulu. Uh, but that's not the only thing that I uh, would recommend. In theaters now is a documentary called The Human Factors, Pretty interesting film uh, about the uh, talks for peace relations between Israel and Palestine, specifically talking about the talks for peace relations that occurred during Bill Clinton's administration. And what I think makes this documentary worthwhile, as opposed to many other things that try to cover this subject, it's such a complex subject and there's so much information that needs to be considered. This documentary almost takes an intentionally narrow focus. It is the only interview subjects are the actual American negotiators who tried to negotiate okay. peace between these two regimes. So what you're getting isn't necessarily a historical analysis about the conflict in the Middle East, but rather a more personal connection to what occurred in these rooms, a, a, a retelling of what it was like to talk to uh, Netanyahu or Rabin or Arafat and just the personalities and stuff they had. I think it's fascinating for anybody who has an interest in this subject. Obviously, you know, there, there's a lot more to it, but I think Again, because it is so focused on this one aspect of it, it's able to comment, kind of comment on the issue without feeling like it's leaving too much out. It's almost like intentionally talking about just these moments. So uh, I would recommend The Human Factors. Definitely a very interesting documentary. And then my last one is another documentary I think is going to be on PBS on January 25th. So that should be easily available. And it's The Mole Agent. It's Chile's official oh. submission for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars. A really delightful movie that we saw yep. earlier this year. I would say actually alternately delightful and heartbreaking because yep. it's got this really interesting kind of pseudo spy story uh, where it, they've recruited this old man to enter a retirement home specifically to spy on people. But he kind of starts becoming friends with 
with all the people in the retirement community, almost in like a Wes Andersonian quirky manner. But then it's also about these kind of forgotten people and uh, the lack of attention that maybe they they get in that, that people get in uh, old folks home. I would love to see a fictionalized version of this starring like Mel Brooks or someone like that. But for now, yeah. I think this is a delightful movie and I think more people should check it out when it hits PBS. That's pretty dope. It is on Hulu because uh, like you said, that is one to catch because um, they may even get the nomination like that. That was Chile's submission, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's dope. I have been praising pbs for the stuff that they do because it is literally available for free i know they had a thousand cuts i sent zach the four mm-hmm. hour and what 30 minute <laughs> city uh, hall <laughs> city hall uh, i really love that they're doing that and even with sundance a mm-hmm. lot of i know the rita moreno one is uh, picked up by pbs and there's a couple of the other docs have also been picked yeah. up by pbs i really like that. there's a reason i, I mentioned it and there's a reason I mention it being on PBS, even though it has been on Hulu, mm-hmm. is that it's free to available to everybody here in the U.S. At least. So, that's dope. Absolutely. Good picks. So, yeah. But that's about all for this week's show. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd at Zshevich. That's Z-S-H-E-V as in vision, I-C-H. Art, where can people catch more from you? You can find me on LME Explained over on Twitter, over on YouTube. You can catch me pretty much every week here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment Find new episodes of the Intercut Podcast every Monday. Please leave us a comment, like the video, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us a five-star review. Shout out to our listeners in Argentina and the Netherlands for putting us on the TV and film podcast charts out there. Also, shout out to our listeners in Nicaragua for putting us on the Spotify charts out there. Yeah, accessibility. We're a huh? Global brand. Look at we, that. We heard from Spain. We're get on the charts in Argentina. They love us, man. They love us. Got to go to some film festivals over there. Yeah, like our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. All of them are at Intercut Pod to get updates throughout the week from Art, from me, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, I'm both dog and wolf. <laughs>